Good afternoon, Robbo. How's it going? Uh, Tom, all good. Thank you. Uh, it's a, it's a we, sunny one out there, isn't it? At last, yeah. We had a bit of a rainy week, but more importantly, we've just completed our first recording uh, that we've ever done. Yeah, it is official. Tom Anderson and Rob Blythe are the, the proud, what are we, owners, makers, intellectual rights? Caretakers. Caretakers, custodians, custodians of a new podcast, The Crest Podcast. And uh, we just recorded our first episode. Yeah, I enjoyed it. We had fun. We um we talked about several things. We won't go into detail here, but we mentioned surf trips. We talked about the current situation in international surfing. Uh, we also looked at it from a Welsh perspective, amongst lots of other things. Lots of laughs in between as well. Yeah, we tried. So we got um, people might have uh, suffered our voices before at the uh, public announcement systems of various surf contests and the odd uh, Welsh Coast Awards night. But uh, we're uh, yeah, we, we, let's dust it off and find out what we sound like in uh, in what's this digital in digital and hopefully the first of many to come. So uh, you are enjoy the show. Coming up on this inaugural episode of Crest. Where would we be in a world without goats? And of course we mean sporting goats, not goaty goats. We discuss the implications of further postponement on competitive surfing scenes both abroad and here in Wales. And who misses surf trips? Not us. We discuss the worst surf trips ever. So it's official. The Crest podcast is underway. To my left is a man who recently placed second on web-based news outlet Glamorgan Online's list of up-and-comers in the Bridgend surf literary scene. It's Tom Anderson. How are you, Tom? <laughs> Very well, Rob. How about you? All good, thank you. And of course, just uh, mentioning back to that that news there, Wynne Thomas, of course, took top spot with his breakthrough surf novel, Finnegan's Wave. You read it? Finnegan's Wave. Oh, I tell you Ta- what. The Finnegan's that I keep thinking of is that fish and chip shop down here, Finnegan's, which they've just opened up again. Delicious food. Tony John, you know, the surf photographer. He fries I a mean do, fish. Finnegan's it Wave, though. Indeed. Don't know that one. Well, it's, it's a tale of dreaming about surf trips. Took 17 years to write. <laughs> well, gosh, Robbo, my uh, intro for you was all serious. Got, that's some script writing you got going on there. Right. Oh, I'm going to have to do something a bit more ad-lib than that. Let me have a think. Uh, okay. Uh, to my right is... Oh, I'll just go retro on this. The ringmaster from Ringland, uh, although his mum would use, used to wallop me for saying that on the PA system at contests, so at least the lockdown is good for one thing. Keep me safe from that. Um, the second best karaoke singer in the world, um, after the mysteriously good-looking man singing back at him from the mirror, of course. Uh, French exile, of course. Newport's own Robert Webster Blythe. Well, thanks, Tom. But, uh, but given your, your standing in the, uh, the lit scene, I'd have thought you'd have managed to write something... Half decent there. But seriously, though, what's the plan for this podcast going forward? Uh, well, yeah, this is something we've both talked about on and off for a long time now, isn't it? And uh, here we are. Um, time is on our hands. Time is also on listeners' hands, too, uh, in, in many cases. Um, oh, I'm minded to think of Mark Twain, I think, describes Huckleberry Finn as having a troublesome superabundance of the kind of time which is not money. Um, and uh, I always thought that sounded both 
great and horrible at the same time. But we we've always wanted to put a podcast together that could work its way through some of the fabulous stories that you hear around surf culture and around Wales's surf culture. Um, I think surfers, present company excluded, alas, uh, although it's not for the want of trying, of course, are some of the best raconteurs in the world. And Wales itself has such a good tradition for great yarns as well. Uh, so many great characters in surfing, isn't there? And the wider world of surf culture um, beyond Wales is the same. Um, so uh, also it's a chance for us to cover the surf communities that we're from and spend our lives uh, in and around. Um, and then, of course, it is pretty widely known that uh, you and I love to yak, don't we? You got that right, Tom. And uh, we've got some yakking coming up. We'll be working our way through a Legends series of interviews. So give us a shout if you think that you qualify. We've got a surprise ready for episode two, as it happens, right from the summit of surf literature. Our very next episode will be joined by the writer Andy Martin, whose time on the North Shore of Oahu has allowed him to put out a couple of incredible surf books, Walking, uh, Walking on Water, Stealing the Wave, which is, of course, the inside story of events surrounding the eventually fatal big wave rivalry between Ken Bradshaw and Mark Fu. And Andy's going to chew the fat with us, too. Isn't that right? Yeah, he's uh, got a new book out, Surf, Sweat and Tears, about the life and death of Ted Deerhurst, you know, the, the, the lord on a board, um, Lord Ted, um, which is, again, a tale that Andy's had a front seat for a lot of. Uh, I've read a preview copy of the book, actually, and it is epic. So it should be really interesting to see what Andy has got to say in conversation. Um, anyway, moving on to why we've come to be here uh, today oh, in this situation. I'm terribly uh, sorry to interrupt you there, Tom. I've got two texts already from people who are asking to be interviewed in the immediate episodes of uh, Crest after Andy. Any guesses who? <laughs> I've got to try and guess. If I... Well, that was pretty quick and pretty keen, so I'm going to say Logan Nickel. In one. Uh, right. Uh, or oh, was Logan the second text too, you know, like following it up to show how keen he was? <laughs> Not quite. Greg Owen. Oh, of course it was. I tell you what, he makes a good interviewee, actually. Um, well, let's book him in. Okay, yeah, so it would be remiss of us not to mention the less than desirable situation which has led to us being here today at home, looking out the windows. Of course, we all would change it if we could, but glass half full and all that. Uh, I'm sure you've read at least one of the many reminders by the mainstream media right now that King Lear was in fact written during a lockdown for plague in 1606. So good things can be created from crap circumstances. Right, right. I'm going to interject there, Tom. I think there needs to be some kind of swear jar type deal. Every time you mention Shakespeare or anything like that, there's a penalty of some kind. Uh, <laughs> all right, fine by me. Uh, hey, tell you what, though, right? There needs to be one for Rob, too, then, uh, for every time you mention Hossiger. Is that a deal? <laughs> um, yeah, okay, righto. That's pretty much half of our conversation gone in, in one, then, Tom. Yeah, shouldn't be too much of a hindrance for us, though. We'll still manage. Uh, now, I know it's a lure for most surfing podcasts to talk about some of the negative situations out there because of the novel coronavirus. We won't shy away from heavy chat if we need to in coming episodes, but perhaps not for our first one, eh? Um, one of the good things... Uh, a few good things, but one of them. I've seen uh, plenty about how wildlife is making a prolific comeback in many of the world's traditionally more popular spaces. Uh, and surely, Robbo, did you see the video of uh, Llandidno's town centre getting overrun by goats? I did. Yeah, indeed. The sleepy northern beach town was invaded by none other than 122 Kashmiri goats. They were having a ball. Well, I watched it and my mind went sideways uh, and thought, well, those goats, 
they're thinking, where would we be in a world without people? Uh, and I thought, fair enough. But where would we people be in a world without goats? And then, of course, if we shift to the American acronym, GOAT, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time, then it makes for a proper good topic for some sportscasters. Have you seen the um, any of the Bulls documentary on Netflix, by the way, the Chicago Bulls one, Last I Stand? Ha- I haven't seen it yet. I've heard about it. So I've been watching a bit of the... Uh... The test, the uh, the documentary about the fallout after the um, the cheating scandal that rocked Australian cricket a couple of years ago. Oh, that sounds. I'll have to have a look oh, at it's that. Really, honestly, really, really good. Yeah, well, I recommend this Bulls one. Just, I mean, you know, just looking at the sort of the mindset behind, um, yeah, I suppose the original goat in in sports, uh, Michael Jordan. But um, let's talk about goats and surfing. Um, goaty goats, not goaty goats. Goats, greatest of all time. <laughs> question for you here now rob right i've been doing some i've been geeking out a little bit right what do the following surfers have in common lakey peterson sally fitzgibbons geordie smith sylvana lima b derbage melanie redmond carr kayala kennelly jacqueline silver megan abubo mick campbell shane beshan rob machado and shane powell i'm sure you're going to tell me uh what they have in common is that they would all have their names on the list of world surfing champions if there had been no such thing as surfing's goats so if kelly okay. slater lane beachley or stephanie gilmore of course who you know uh, beachley and gilmore co-hold the record for the most world titles in lady surfing uh, and slater is the most world titles in men's surfing if those guys hadn't existed those guys would all have extra world would all have world titles. There's a few people who'd have had extra world titles as well, Andy Irons for one. Um, but those are guys who never won one. Uh, in fact, two of them, Silvana Lima and Melanie Redmond Carr, um, would have uh, won two world titles um, ah. each if it hadn't been for the existence of Stephanie Gilmore. So these are guys who've got multiple second places. Um, okay. So what what's the world look like if? those guys had been world champions what 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 would surfing look like if rob machado had been a world champion well it, it certainly changed the landscape somewhat wouldn't it never really thought about it it's quite an interesting one because if you think about what machado did with his career after coming so close in 95 i sort of wonder with him whether he never really wanted to put himself in that position again, you know, because it must imagine how heartbreaking it must have been i know there was the high five and all of this but to get that close and, and I wonder if the whole Afro and the, the funky boards and everything that he's done since has always been a kind of like, a, you know, uh, avoiding putting himself back there. It's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, do, you, do you think it haunts them? I, I, I mean, do you think it plays on their minds? It would on mine. <laughs> um, well, I don't, you've, you've got a second. You've got a second in a Welsh, haven't you, Rob? Yeah. Which, which just... stops you from being a Welsh champion? Adam Jenkins of Swansea. Oh, right. Oh, he was a one-off. He was but as well, wasn't he? Do you know what? Uh, no, oh, I don't know. But um, in it's it's a funny thing because I'm actually, I'm super competitive in most things, and I, I like competing in surfing largely for the fact that you get to see everybody and hang out. And I I do like the the whole thing about competing in surfing, but I'm not that fussed when I when I lose, which I've got quite good at doing actually. Yeah, but it just it just doesn't bother me after it. As soon as it's done, I don't think about it again. 
So you've not lost sleep and wondered whether there was a different turn you no, could have I, done in one of those waves in that fight. Do you remember the final? I do. I do. It's me, uh, Adam Jenkins, Mark Vaughan, and Josh Hughes. Uh, Middle Bay, Fresh West. It was really good surf as well. It was one of the most recent Welshes that we had really good waves and really good weather for. Right. And do you remember your two waves? Uh, you've never thought about whether there was I a remember, point on one of them. I remember one uh, is a left and I did like a little kind of credit card air on my backhand and uh, didn't quite stick it. And I could have just done a turn, I suppose. But no, I didn't really contemplate it afterwards. But maybe there's a Welsh title on the end of that credit card air. Nah, I, I don't think so. Um, and it, do you know what? I haven't. I really, genuinely haven't thought about it. And yeah. I, I, th- I find it hard to put myself in the position of people. Clearly, if you're going to reach the upper echelons of sport, like the people we're discussing have, I think yeah. you have something else. There's like an, an extra level of competitiveness that yeah. I just, I just don't have. Yeah, interesting. Do, do you know? Do you think any of these guys here? Well, I, t- I said Melanie Redmond Carr and Silvana Lima. We know would have won two titles. Do you think any of these guys here would have bounced on to become like have a massive shot of confidence and suddenly become like the you know somebody super dominant? You know, you uh, look at that list. Look at Machado. Well, the name that st- stands out to me above them all for on the, uh, like, for being very competitive is Shane Beshin. You always yeah. seem to have like that fire burning in him. Because perhaps. If you were- Parkinson won his world title. Um, yeah, was it Parkinson who who had a really narrow miss? And then once he'd won one world title, did he manage to win a second? Did Parker manage to win a second after winning? Nah, one? he got the one. He got the one, I think. Oh, he got the one. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of times when somebody, you know, break the, get the monkey off your back. So I wonder. Fanning. Fanning. Oh, it is Fanning, is it? So if Beshin yeah, had got the monkey three, off his back, if Beshin had got that monkey off his back in 1996. Do you think he would have then gone on to become, you know, a multiple world champion? You you can't possibly say, can you? I mean, without Slater on the scene, perhaps the you'd have had uh, the like you say the landscape would have been completely different. You'd have had uh, perhaps even different people fighting out in the top five, top ten. Yeah, I reckon there's only one person on this list who still might rear their head as a world champion future, and that's Lakey Peterson. Ah. I think Geordie Smith a little bit probably now. Can you really see Geordie Smith managing to keep up with like the, the John Johns and the Toledos and the Ferreras and Medinas of this world? Well, last year he he gave it a good crack of the whip, didn't he? Yeah. He was looking sharp. He was looking fit. Uh, from what I've seen on social media, he spent uh, last winter in Hawaii training. Yeah. Well, he, I think he lives there now, doesn't he? A considerable amount of training and perhaps that this was going to be his year, but we'll never know now. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, I can equally see Lakey Peterson being one of those always the bridesmaids. Felipe Toledo is always the bridesmaid nowadays as well, isn't he? Well, it's early days in his career. Forget how young he is because he seems to have been around forever. But but in fact, all that, that so-called Brazilian storm are still really quite youthful, aren't they? They've got a lot, yeah, of, a lot of time time ahead of them. The other Greg person... Um, go on. Go on. Go on after you. <laughs> Talk about Greg Owen in... Uh, I was gonna, I was gonna move from the WSL to the WSF. Uh, I was just okay. gonna say Greg Owen got lots of seconds in the nineties in Wales, mm-hmm. and then I think it was ninety nine. Um, no, it was two thousand. Two thousand, glorious sunny weekend in Fresh West. Greg Owen won one, and then he broke the monkey's back and went on to win multiple titles from there. Yeah, how many has he got in the Open? Three, I think. Three. He, he'll text you if it's not. <laughs> uh, will there on. be another goat 
in international surfing or Welsh surfing? Well, let's try both. Go on then, international first. Um, I, sh- I mean, of the current crop of people on the CT, I there's I can't see anybody coming close to matching Slater's eleven. Right. Just be just because of the the time it requires is, to win eleven world titles. Gilmore or Beachley in the ladies with Caroline Marks, or do you think? Uh, perhaps yeah. Caroline Marks is is still super young. Yeah, it's it's so hard to predict these things, isn't it? You could argue that uh, someone like Gabriel Medina could go on a bit of a, a spree now, a winning spree over the yeah. coming years. But it's still going to take. Well, how many has Gabe got now? He's got two, two, two. So he's got another. He's got, he'd have to win for the next nine years straight to match Kelly. <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? No. Yeah. You know, one of the stories I love, right? This this uh, this was not a first hand story, but it was told to me by a very reliable person who comes from. Uh, from the Sydney area, that there was in in the very early nineties a massive rivalry between Kelly Slater and another guy called Shane Herring. Do you know much about him? Hero, Hero. big time. Now, now Shane Herring apparently you can still find him um, around his hometown of D Y. Um, he's got a bit of a beard. He's fishing. He's usually uh, he's usually got a beer in his hand. He's happy and well, but he's a complete burnout as far as competitive surfing goes. But the, the, the tale goes that Slater and Shane Herring were neck and neck at the end of the 80s and early 90s um, as whether America or Australia were going to dominate the next decade of surfing. And both of them were wearing that kind of country pressure on their backs, as in you know, either America or Australia, you know, you're representing your half of the surfing world, really, at that, at that stage. And apparently they used to duel a lot in free surfing and a friend of mine says that uh, he saw them surfing the point at dy when it was right heavy right up the back of the point taking off real deep and it's shane herring's local and he said that shane herring got one of the best barrels he's ever seen in his life at dy spat out um dredging inside out below sea level ledge and then he says that slater was in the water and he saw slater's eyes quicken and his shoulders rise and his neck deep, you know, drop into the water and he paddled as hard as he could to the top of the point. And within 10 minutes had, had just eclipsed the top DY local as having ridden the best barrel anyone had ever seen at DY and that he could see that Herring was gutted. And he reckoned that most of the guys in DY reckon that basically um, if Shane Herring had beaten Slater to that first bunch of, of competitive victories, Slater might have crumbled and Shane Herring might have been, you know, 11 times world <laughs> champ and Slater would just be a, a chubby fisherman on a pier in Cocoa Beach. <laughs> Sounds like uh, Aussie folklore. And what about our goats, PJ and Linda? Um, Certainly. Do PJ and Linda then have, in, you know, we think of them as legends, but is there in their wake a, a big long list of failures and other people's crushed dreams? Elliot Dudley, Splinter. Are they as much dream crushers as dream makers, <laughs> these guys? You know, is there, is there a whole host of dejected people walking around gutted because their, their one chance to make it big in contest was crushed by one of these goats? <laughs> Maybe. But what's, what good's a victory if you can't beat the best people at the game? <laughs> true, true. And then I think the same can be said of Rob Blythe in Welsh Coast Surf Club comps because there must be loads <laughs> of local people who, who would have uh, picked up their one chance at a surf comp if it wasn't for those big long arms of the Blythe. Now we 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 tend to take it in turns, don't we? It's about four or five of us that take a year each in yeah. our local comps. Yeah, Sagey's turn last, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, there we are. Well, speaking of Welsh comps, Tom, I had a chat with the Welsh Surfing Federation's very own Mark Vaughan this week. Or future guest on the show, I'm told. Let's hope so. He, he's he's quite elusive at the moment, is Mark? But uh, we will try to get him on at some point. But before we go into 
Welsh uh, Surfing Federation news and competitions in Wales. Let's first of all talk through some of the uh, the news affecting surfing on an international level. This week we have seen some big announcements coming from the WSL's uh, new CEO, Eric Logan. You seen anything of what he's been saying, Tom? Yeah, uh, it's is it, is it carefully ambiguous? Would you like me to tell you? Yes, I would love you to. You've, okay. I, can, I can see you've got paper. I have research has been done. So six weeks on from uh, the World Tour's first postponements, WSL CEO Eric Logan has provided another message this week, letting fans know that competitive surfing has indeed been postponed until at least the end of June. Oh, does that mean no G-Land? It does. And do you know what? It was actually, it's taken quite some time to to look into this because I could not find, for love nor money, any information on the WSL's own website. I had to go to the Guardian newspaper. <laughs> to of find all the G-Land. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> I had to go to the They had the most reputable uh, information on it. Eventually, I should say that I did, after some careful digging, manage to get to a press uh, section of the WSL website and get some information, but it wasn't readily, readily available. So, uh, to quote Eric Logan, where and when we'll run this year is still very much an open question, but we'll continue to work with governments, world health authorities, and our local communities on returning to the lineup. So, at, like I say, after a bit of digging, it turns out that Snapper, uh, the Quicksilver Pro on the Gold Coast, is the only event that's actually, or on the CT, that's actually been cancelled. As it stands, all the rest have just been postponed. So that's Bells, it's Margaret River, that's Rio, that's G-Land. Well, I, I know you're interested in G-Land. G-Land is, uh, is definitely not going to run at G-Land, but there's a oh, good I chance know. it could run somewhere in Indonesia, but with slightly more infrastructure. So I'm thinking perhaps another Ulus. Uluwatu contest or Padang. Something oh, like I that. loved watching that Ulus contest. Yeah, I read, well, do you remember when they did the search at Padang um, yeah. and Slater did that, that, had that switch 10? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was and insane. I remember some great ways of Bruce Irons at that comp as well. It was a really good one. So that, that's the case, yeah. No G-Land this year, but they, the rest are post, uh, postponed rather than cancelled. However, so I kind of like the, the way politicians would add something onto some bit of law getting passed through the House of Commons. The oh, good, WSL very have, bad news, as they say. Yeah, the WSL have announced some sweeping changes uh, to the face of professional surfing. For the coming year and there's been talk of it for a little while i think uh there were plans were afoot to change things for the 20 uh, for 2022 however and again i quote eric logan on this our pause due to covid really allowed us to see that now is the time to accelerate these changes oh, so and the changes 2022 changes forward to 2021 are they indeed and the changes are quite sweeping so the way it looks for those of you that haven't kept up with this information is that the tour will by and large look the same throughout the whole year however the world title will be decided on the last day of as it's been deemed recently the season i'm not sure if i like that terminology i don't really like the thing like surfing's not a traditional sport it shouldn't be talked about in terms of seasons but yes it's going to go down to the last event so it'll all the events in the run-up to it will act as some kind of qualifier or seeding rounds to come down to the pipe masters final kind of uh if you recall last year we had that that big final day showdown uh, Italo yeah. Ferreira and Gabriel Medina to decide the yeah, world title. And I think they want to engineer that for future. They're quite savvy, these guys. Eric Logan, of course, coming from uh, Oprah Winfrey's production company. Right. He's got well, big ideas, how to monetize surfing. And I think yeah. this is part of that. What I will say, I've been twice now to um, London to watch the NFL. And I will say that American sports are perfectly designed 
to keep the tension to the last minute. You know, the mm. way their rules and playoffs stuff kind of thing. Together, but playoffs, but then it's the same. The problem with playoffs, um, you know, is that some team will be 16 and 0. Uh, and then in the end, they'll slip up to the Patriots in a scrappy game. And you're so you so you sometimes get like, well, it's the same if you think about promotion playoffs that we have in British sports, you know. So I don't know what I think about playoffs. Yeah, um, it's. So, it's, so, you it's, know, it's, by, by playoffs, you know, that could have been somebody like Kanoa Igarashi could have won the world title off Medina and Ferreira at the last minute this year then, couldn't they? Someone in like yeah, a and it's, type place. Absolutely. And it's going to have, I, I think, any changes to any sport, but particularly surfing where you'll find that I think surfers help kind of feel a sense of ownership over the sport. And like any other sport, there's yeah. going to be people that that there's going to be it's, it's going to have its detractors should i say and there's going to be people moaning about it i really don't know what to think about it i think some of the common criticisms that i can get on board with about the way surfing's gone in recent years under the wsl is that they're, they're trying to make it too glossy and sell it to too wide a market when yeah. the, my yeah. favorite time in pro surfing was that kind of late 90s early 2000s when it was kind of raw and scrappy and you saw huntington beach contest <laughs> Mick, well, Campbell, yeah, Mick Campbell scrapping with Andy Irons in the showers. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, right. that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's kind Mick, of, Mick Campbell kind of... beating Kelly Slater in like two-foot Rio. And I remember that the surf was getting smaller and smaller. That was the three-way race between Slater, Mick Campbell and Danny Wills. And I remember um, a great interview with Barton Lynch. It was on one of Derek Hines' video diaries. And Barton Lynch saying, I don't know what these guys are all moaning about. Surf getting smaller. If this was back in the 80s. Me yeah. and Duma Hardman, we'd be rubbing our, our hands yeah, together yeah. going, I hope it gets smaller. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, and small wave surfing, yeah. I, lo- I used to love watching small wave contests well, when the stakes are high. It's not necessarily the small wave thing. I just think it was a bit, it had a bit, it was a bit more real, a bit more raw. And yeah. uh, the way it's yeah. gone in recent years is they try and gloss over everything. When anything slightly off script happens, they kind of, it's like a hush hush, isn't it? And yeah. if someone moans at the judges or, snaps their board over their knee or swears at someone it's kind of yeah. like papered but are, we, over. are we on a slippery slope to just wave pools and uh you know schedules that's, that's, and we'll that. save that one for another episode of this shall we it's a big yeah. old conversation well i'm sure but, it's going to come up in the future for us to talk about yeah yeah so it's it's an interesting move one that's going to be talked about for a long time i'm sure but that's it as it stands but let me please bring it back uh to the welsh surfing federation like i said i've spoken to mark this week and I have the official line from the WSF. Again, another piece of paper is produced. And again, for those of you uh, interested in the Welsh Surfing uh, National Championships this year, I've got the update on the situation. Obviously, I think also it was... for listeners over the border, over the bridge uh, in, mm-hmm. in, in England or, or Scotland or Jersey or wherever, we, this, this kind of ties into like, the British scene as well, doesn't it, at the moment? Because it's kind of like... Yeah, a, I've got a, the a, wider... A, I've got the... It? Well, Mark was uh, very forthcoming with the information. I've got the I've got the British view, and I've got the European and the international view on it re- with relation okay. to the World Championships and the uh, the Olympics. Moving past right. that, I'm keen to hear this. So, um, for the just a bit, as a little bit of a backstory, the Welsh uh, nationals were supposed to run um, back during Easter, um, as opposed to its traditional May Bank Holiday weekend slot, because the British uh, Championships were due to be held up in Scotland in Thurso later um, in that or just after the Easter weekend. So they had to have it early in order to select a team to send to it because the way the British is so, structured So the Welsh now, is a qualifier for the British, yeah? 
Absolutely. Four surfers from each of the home nations get um, sent yeah. up to the British Championships. So it was supposed to go at Easter. Um, clearly, because of the situation that we all find ourselves in with uh, COVID-19, the Welsh was postponed. Right. Um, and the initial thought was that they might be able to run it um, on its usual date, which is uh, May Bank Holiday weekend, coming up next weekend. Of course, and that's ended situ- up a bit early. Exactly. As we know, well, the situation's fluid. That was one, one of the things that Mark was really clear to point out, that they are responding to information. This is so hard to predict. I mean, national governments can't do it. So a, a sporting governing body is going to have a hard time doing it. So yeah, it's, the, their, their main goal um, is to run it before the end of June. That's what they really want to do. And I'll explain the reasons behind that in a minute. But once again, uh, Mark was really keen to point out that they're responding to the situation as it develops and any decisions uh, that are made are being made in conjunction with Sport Wales and in uh, view of the regulations and advice coming from the Welsh Assembly Government. Right, of course. Because first first and foremost, of course, is everybody's health and safety that they want to consider. But the reason they want to get it done before the end of June is because in July and August, uh, as it stands, the European Junior Championships are set to take place in Portugal. And, and that, they no, haven't been cancelled yet. There's been no change to the scheduling of that. Right. So they're still hopeful to pick a team for that and perhaps send one there. Of course, the surfing ban in Portugal has been lifted, but whether or not you can run a major event such as that remains to be seen. The other uh, reason behind trying to hold uh, the Nationals before the end of June is that uh, the World Surfing Games is also due to be held later in the year. Now, that was supposed to be held in El Salvador in May, so this month, I believe. That, of course, has been postponed, uh, we think, until December. Again, no official word December in El Salvador. That's interesting, then, because uh, what I will say is El Salvador. I, I've been to El Salvador in May, and it pumps. It's a south swell place. Mm-hmm. So El Salvador in December, I went, I, I'm not sure about the wave quality they'll get, but that's interesting. I suppose they've got much more important things to worry about at the moment, though. Yeah, again, Mark's thinking behind that was um, apparently with uh, the Olympics being postponed until next year, they right. still Olympic qualification remains open. Oh well, yeah, of and, course, because they've and, got. Go I'm on. Sorry, I think I think under the the laws of international sport, these they're very complex, aren't they? And I think that the World Games need to take place before the year's out, so they're keen to get it done some point before the end yeah. of the year. And they've got to, yeah, I mean, you know, and they will have options like kind of closed doors type scenarios, won't they? Um, maybe even testing to make sure that, you know, it's done in a very, with the smallest possible number of people attending and things like that. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think there's up to eight Olympic places still up for grabs from that comp, isn't there? And if a Welsh surfer were to make the Olympics, it's going to be through that contest, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Uh, so all very much up in the air at the moment, but they, they're hopeful. They are hopeful to get all these contests run. And like I say, they're they're reacting to information as it as it yeah. comes out and as the situation develops. So I suppose the other challenge facing the WSF and other organizations is going to be getting people to sort of join and pay their subs, I suppose, because if there's no events taking place. Um because they had to you know, that must be a challenge as well. Although they did manage to run the sword, didn't they? And that gets so most most clubs join and the members members join in time for the sword, don't they? Yeah, it's Again, I think that this is perhaps a topic for another podcast, but the the effect that this whole situation is having on kind of sports at a grassroots level is incalculable, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I know for with uh, regards to our local surf club, um, 
they've started an initiative whereby they're offering free membership this year to anybody that's been a member or any current members as a gesture right. of goodwill, but you can make a donation. I'm going to be paying my full membership anyway. Yeah, so I want to help the club out. Too, course, However, yeah. it's a nice gesture, but I, th- I think it's important that people, if you obviously cash is tight for a lot of people given the current situation, but if, if you yeah. can, it's, I think it's still important to support your local businesses and your local clubs and keep them ticking over because they do so much, so much for the local community. So. And I have to say as well, Rob, You've done a great job on those quizzes for the Welsh Coast Surf Club that have been uh, up through Facebook. And I reckon maybe you've recorded them as little uh, individual standalone videos. Perhaps we can drop them on the Crestcast uh, sites as well. So so anyone who wants to try a surf quiz can uh, hear Rob reading out some real good geekery. They're really good things. Uh, But those club communities are still taking place a little bit online, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, uh, we've been having the, the quizzes every Friday night. Uh, I've done the first two. Martin John took over the ropes last week, so I was a bit busy in work this week. But they're they're good. And if you like, you say if you've got any kind of interest in surf history or trivia, or just fancy a little chat uh, of a Friday evening, they're really good to tune into. However, you can also access them after they've happened. Uh, like Tom said, we'll link it to this podcast to come the end. Oh, great, great stuff, Robbo. I'm sure your man is uh, chomping at the bit to get amongst it with the tabulation again, as usual. <laughs> yeah, well. Do you know what she's at, she's been a bit usurped in uh, recent years at the Welsh, thanks to the modernisation of Welsh surfing, should we say, with under Timmy oh, Aylett's uh, oh, under yeah, Timmy Aylett's mentorship. Digital, yeah, digital judging. Yeah. However, what I will say is computers have a liability of uh, well, they they are a liability, and they quite often run out of battery or there's technical problems, and you still need someone to jot up the scores, tot up the scores. Uh, well, yeah. analog, analog style. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, should we move on anyway with to uh, what else we were going to talk about here? Um, with little prospects in the meantime, oh, it pains me to say, li- <laughs> oh, I can't get through this line. With little prospects in the meantime of a surf trip, at fresh west right now, let's admit it, seeming like the other side of the world, we got to wondering how people are dealing with not being able to plan surf trips. Have you had anything cancelled yet, Robbo? Yeah, uh, my friend Tom and I were supposed to be in California over Easter. Yeah. So actually, well, yeah, it's it's disappointing, but I got very little sympathy from anybody for that one, yeah. as it goes. But um, well, what I, I will... feel for you, I think that's it's, it's it's tough for anyone in that situation. I do it's, feel for you. Well, we instead of we actually accepted vouchers instead of a refund on our flights just to force us to go later. Well, as soon as things open up again. But what what it's allowed me to do. Well, had it run, it would have allowed me to attend the Welsh this year and get knocked out in the first or second round again. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I was supposed to get back from a trip actually the day before the Welsh, so I, I'd been trying to work out how I was gonna how I was gonna run that one past the family to get from uh, Bristol Airport straight up to the Welsh. So it was nice not to have that problem at least. Um, yeah, I lost a trip to Peniche uh, myself. What we did, we didn't take a voucher, but we actually put the refund into a common account and it's being looked after. So the so the funds are there to try and run the trip again. But, you know, we'll we'll see where we get to. I will say about California as well. My dad lives there, obviously, and I've spoken to him quite a lot through this. I don't think California is a good place to be right now. Uh, I don't think anywhere in the US is. Um, but obviously that's, that's hopefully going to change down the line. Um, and of course, there are much worse things going on than losing a, a trip to California or Peniche and getting a refund. I'm well aware. Um, a mate of mine got locked down in Shikama for almost a month. He was part of that group that we heard about on the news um, in Peru, stranded there. 
longest left in the world, Northern Peru, and he was forced to watch it break almost the whole time because it was just coming into the season. I'm not sure if you've been to that place before. Have you, Rob? I haven't, no. Yeah, it, it's it's bleak. Um, it's hard to stay there a long time, even when you can surf all day, um, mm. which you usually can, by the way, because uh, the wind doesn't blow on shore as much there, um, which is odd because it is a cold water, warm land setup. But uh, so so he had to basically watch fire in empty mile long lefts all day for a month while he wasn't even allowed out of this little concrete hut. Ouch. Goodness um, me. So we got the idea about how to deal with this less than ideal situation anyway, didn't we, Rob? Yep. So rather than long in after surf trips, let's think about all the reasons they can absolutely suck. So for, sh- so for the short term, we're introducing a semi a semi regular slot on Crestcast. Why we absolutely don't miss surf trips. We're looking for your most horrendous mishaps because who needs the hassle of travel, the adventure, the exotic, the foreign tongues, the food and drink, those chilly red Indonesian sunsets and the warm nights. As you feel the wind has dropped. Hey, Robbo. Yeah, sorry. So who needs surf trips? Welcome to the worst surf trips. There are some recent candidates for this, of course. Uh, our good friend Elliot being one. He's been, well, Elliot every single Dundee. person in Welsh surfing, perhaps British surfing and beyond has seen it. Uh, thanks to his Instagram. But he's been on a bit of a around the world tour with uh, his partner, Marie Claire. And of course, it was cut short. They were ordered home. By both, my heart uh, the... bled for him. My I heart know, bled right? for him. I'd, I'd been dreading the end of Elliot's Instagram stories. Uh, you know, they've left <laughs> even more of a void in my life than Premier League football. <laughs> right. I'm, uh, we've, we've queued up a few for this one. But I think it's important to say this feature is about mishaps that happen on surf trips. And we've, we've termed it surf trips that suck. But Tom, I was thinking about this. The surfing aspect of a surf trip is, is, if you're lucky, it's 50% of it. The vast majority of surf trip is made up by stuff that happens on land. And the things that happen on land, and quite often, when things go wrong, it actually makes the story all that, that better and makes the trip what it is. So oh, yeah, I've, got a bit of a, I've got a bit of a soft spot for things going awry on surf trips. However, at the time when they're happening, unless it's something drastic, which is, of course is awful, when like these minor inconveniences happen, they're a nuisance. And I've got a couple of examples here. So... Uh, February before last, I went to the Canary Islands with a couple of my mates. And it's one of the classic things that, that happen on surf trips. Problem with the hire car. And I've got um, a copy here of the review. What, what company are we talking? Oh, we probably can't say companies, can we? Well, having watched uh, how many times Ian Hislop's been sued on Have I Got News For You, um, I think it's important that we probably change the name. So I won't say the name. Instead, let's call it uh, Cold Gar. company. <laughs> okay. All right, and shall we imagine that it's got like a kind of lurid yellowish sticker? I mean, it might have. Yeah, that would be fine. Yeah, to, kind of to like the that. sort of like the Dino Rod logo of rental cars. Yeah, we'll, it, we'll just pretend that this company exists. So, okay, of course, one of the, the common things that happens when surf trips go wrong has to do with the hire car. I've heard some horror stories of people being charged all sorts for goodness knows what. Because apparently, uh, insurance on hire cars doesn't cover the underside or the roof. So people that have uh, incurred damage to their car on the underside of the roof have been lumbered with this massive bill at the end of their trip. But I digress. So I'm going to go, I'm going to read out the review that uh, my friend Joss posted on uh, a review website after the trip. And it's bear with us because it, there's some funny bits in it. But 
lots of you'll be able to relate to it. Lots of you will probably experienced uh, cold gar yourselves or someone similar. So this is it. Uh, he's titled it. It comes in uh, four, well, three chapters and a prologue, and it's called Pirates of the Canaries, Cold Gar for Tarantura. And this is the prologue. Firstly, it's worth noting that I'm not typically one to write reviews, or even complain for that matter, and it takes something fairly, consider fairly considerable in order for me to spend a good chunk of my Sunday night writing such a review, but I feel this is worth it. Chapter 1. Arriving late at the airport on Saturday night, we were keen to get through quickly. Only one of the rental places had a long queue, inevitably ours. Coldgar. Stood for 20 minutes before moving as there was a lady arguing at the front about insurance. I thought, it's fine. I've paid for full coverage. I'm insured. After an hour, got to the front of the queue. The lady tells me I'm not insured. Note, this was an outright lie. I was insured. And that I must pay €135 Euros extra for full coverage. I refused, and she got quite irate, but proceeded nonetheless to take a deposit of €1,400 Euros off my credit card. She then asked me for a debit card to pay €105. Euros. I asked why, since my booking had uh, told me that nothing more was to pay. Fuel and taxes. Right, so uh, how does that work out at 95 cents a litre? I refused. But she pointed out that I couldn't take the car unless I paid it. She also rudely pointed at the queue behind me, saying I was wasting everyone's time. Reluctantly, I paid €105, Euros, as like everyone else, I wanted to get on with my holiday. I later realised the queues are purposeful and they try and make you feel bad for staying and arguing. Anyway, we got to the car and the aerial was missing. And there was a few scratches on the car that weren't marked on the sheet. But there was no one around and rather than go back in queue for another two hours, because it was so late, we just took photo, uh, photos of them and emailed them to ourselves for a timestamp. Chapter 2. Halfway through the holiday, I heard a faint sound, so we pulled over. And sure enough, there was a nail and washer in the car tyre. However, <laughs> this nail looked so worn that it looked like it had been there for a long time, although I obviously had no evidence. The tyre was still inflated and I could have carried on driving. However, I wasn't comfortable with this. So I called the cold gar head office. I've got to be really careful saying that. The cold gar head office. I asked them what they wanted me to do. And they were as much used as a chocolate teapot. I, I told them, look, I'm going to change over to the space saver and drive in and get another car. The woman on the phone replied, okay, I'll come to expect you coming. Two hours later, I turned up at the front desk at the airport on the space saver. The guy there told me I'd have to go up to the, to the office to discuss it. Heart sinking. Another queue whilst I watched pop, uh, people get shafted for fuel and insurance including a girl in front of me crying because she didn't have enough money. There's also a chap behind me who was on his stag do and missed the first three hours because his car was scratched and there wasn't any <laughs> recording of the damage. Whilst in the queue, I watched one lady behind the desk serve customers whilst two others moved bits of paper around, ignoring the huge queue. Absolutely disgraceful. And I wasn't sure whether this was again purposeful or not. Prepared for what was to come, I got to the front and was told I'd have to pay 200 euros for the tyre. I showed the lady on the desk the photo and explained to her that if I'd wanted to, I could have continued driving on the tyre with a nail in it and returned it two days later and no one would have known. She said it must have been me since they always check the cars between customers. As above, this is clearly not the case. She again told me there was a queue behind me and I pointed out politely that this was because she was causing the problems, not resolving them. I had to bite the bullet and pay 200 euros for the tyre. She did briefly try to sell me the super relaxed cover again on the new car before I told her where to go. Needless to say, the new car we were given had scratches and a missing aerial that were not marked on the sheet. Again, we took photos and emailed them to ourselves. 
Chapter 3. Returning the car to the airport, I was full of dread, worried what pain Coldgar would inflict on the last of my holiday. To my surprise, they didn't even check the car. The guy chucked the keys in with a bundle of others and we just walked off. This was the most painless part of the process, but I realised it's just because Goldcar, oh, oops, Coldgar are a shambles organisation and don't actually do any of their due diligence that sometimes would bite them. <laughs> anyway, I realised in hindsight... Your team can advise you that you're, uh, you're reading uh, something that's in the public domain anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I realised in hindsight that I could have taken a key and scratched the side of the car and they could have probably had never approved it was me due to their complete ineptitude. Fortunately, I had a great holiday. But this was a real downer on a week's holiday spending so much time at the airport. I witnessed so many people's holidays get off to a bad start. And I swore to myself that I would follow it up, which is what I'm doing now. Do yourselves a favour. Go nowhere near Coldgar. I realise now that Coldgar rely on undercutting people on comparison websites, then fleecing you at the desk, which actually makes it significantly more expensive. My suspicion is that they are aware that this is a non-sustainable business model and they realise that their reputation will eventually catch up with them. My worry is that the owners get away with it and make a tidy profit doing so. How many holidays ruined before this point, I don't know. I'd love the owners to have stood in the queue for two hours and witnessed what I did. Anyway, that's it. Unfortunately, there is no happy ending other than to learn from it and try to make others aware so they don't make the same mistake. And the other happy ending about that story is that, of course, it helps us cope with the fact that we're not allowed on any surf trips at the moment, Tom. Yeah. Do you know, though, we ignored that advice because I think we used the same company, didn't we? Uh, on a trip yeah, we used Aldo. it beforehand, though. We did oh, it before. beforehand, and 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 I've just remembered actually you stitching me up a treat on that trip because we realised that they were pretty dodgy and that if you made any mistake whatsoever with the car, you were going to have to pay a lot of money. And I think Gareth Hughes and Kieran Hughes, Fiona Mia, were on that trip as well, weren't they? And I remember them saying that someone had been charged a fortune by. Uh, cold whatever they were for cold car um, for uh, for not cleaning the car properly um so i made the mistake um really stupid of going surfing quite a few times with the key just around a lace because i'd forgotten my aqua pack and then one day it had um it had salted up and wasn't working and we were on the beach in zavial and we were like oh it's the last day of the trip and i remember thinking right well let's just hope it dries out so we put the key in the sun somewhere and then i think i went surfing again and you and george schofield sat with Gareth just chilling and having a beer. And uh, when I came out of the water, do you remember what happened? No, can you remember this? Not really. All oh, right. No, this was this was you. I came out of the water and the car had been nicked <laughs> and it was missing. And I was like, of course it hadn't, because what had happened was I think you obviously played with the key while I was in the water and it must have like gone doop doop and started working again. And then you and George had gone, right, let's move the car. So you'd <laughs> driven it halfway up the hill towards uh, in Greener. And then let me stand around in my wetsuit for like an hour thinking the car had been nicked before eventually going, oh, look, there it is at the top of the hill. I can't, um, I can't it remember it. The idea of having the car nicked, it was the idea of having one of cold cars, cars nicked, which really, you know, would, is enough to make you break out in a, in a gold sweat. I um, Very nicely done. I, uh, I can't actually remember it, but it does sound like something I would do. Well, I tell you what, we've got, we're going to run this then as a, as a regular feature on the show. Um, I got a story, I'll hold it off for another one, um, about getting stuck on a tiny island in Indonesia, which is quite, oh, that, that also brings me out in a gold sweat. Uh, and we're also going to have a great guest down the line, Rhino Thomas, and he's got a great one about somebody jumping on a plane to the wrong city by accident, doesn't he? <laughs> um, so, uh, well, yeah. 
you and I actually be we we uh, remember when we went to Morocco and uh, oh, we, we, we were coming back we were fl- we we were rushing for the flight we were late for some reason we had oh, a ton yeah, of boards between us and um I think my I was with mum and dad and mum and it was, I it, and Bruges. It was the Carling Cup final, it was, and it had gone to penalties. It was Chelsea against Arsenal. It had gone to penalties. And right. me and your dad decided to stay in the departure lounge to watch the penalty kicks. And you, your mum, and Breach went out and got on the flight Yeah, ahead of us. We, uh, well, that, that, I think dad probably did it, not to watch the penalties, but to annoy the rest yeah. of them, to annoy me and mum by pretending to be late for the flight. Well, that was it. And then we, but then it turned out me and your dad almost were late for the flight. And uh, it was, oh, I think it was my travel or Thompson or something like that. Thompson, Thompson. And we were, we were, we were very sternly told to run across the runway and get onto this plane. So we're walking up the steps to this Thompson Airlines. And then your dad goes to me, oh, check this guy out. And behind us is this bloke running as fast as he can, even later than us. And uh, Bob goes, watch this. So as this bloke walks up the steps, your dad turns around to him and goes, God, that was a bit of luck. Me and the boy almost got on the Birmingham flight by accident. (laughs) (laughs) Which is obviously where we're flying to. And uh, and this bloke goes, Birmingham? What? (laughs) And your dad points at like this green aeroplane jumbo jet with like Iranian Air Iran and like Arabic writing on the side of it, flying off down the runway about to take off. (laughs) And goes... All right, that's it over there. And this bloke turns round, <laughs> runs down the steps, and starts running off after the Birmingham flight. So uh, we were very, very unpopular with the Thompson Airways got... staff by the time we'd sat down on that plane. I wonder if he made it to Tehran in the end. <laughs> we, you, your dad was—he uh, was public enemy number one, absolutely getting on that man. And, and I think your mum was just as angry with him as uh, as the as the Thompson staff were. No, no doubt, no doubt. But there we go. So, um, well, Tom, I, th- I think we've just about uh, removed the stoke from the room then, which, of course, was the objective, wasn't it? So, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure. That was it. The first episode of Crest is in the vault. Uh, we've, what have we got coming up in the coming weeks? Well, we've got a Welsh legend series, which is just around the corner. And in about a week, we should be on for dropping an exclusive chat with the surf scribe Andy Martin, whose new book on uh, Ted Deerhurst, Lord Ted, is out now. So that's it. Job done. Cheers, Robbie. See you. And, uh, well, if you've made it this far, thanks for listening. Yeah. The old power of Hoyle Vowen. One, two, three.